Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is your host of Talk Architecture Podcast, Naziati Muhammad Yaqob. And today's topic is a topic inspired from what has happened recently in my country. And uh, with regard to the 1MDB scandal and a statement made by one of the political party a president, um, a political party president, recently said, we got to win this election because there will be more leaders within our coalition who will be, who have to go to court. And I assume going to court is with corruption charges. Now, the topic of architecture and corruption will lead me to de uh, define the word corrupt. Um, the past tense is corrupted. Past participle is corrupted as well. So it says here it is a verb. The number one, cause to act dishonestly in return for money or personal gain. A similar word is bribe, suborn, buy, buy off, or pay off. A second definition is change or debase by making errors or unintentional alterations. Similar to this word would be alter, falsify, manipulate. The most obvious thing that I could think of immediately is in the context of architecture uh, practice and architecture education. For the first one, uh, there would be some sort of corruption if one is to alter uh, without giving um, a report to the person responsible such as the owner or the architect that they have altered something um, or change something um, to make um, alterations. So it, it does say that um, debase. Um, so it could be unintentional or it could be just error, but you need to double check things. That is just a responsibility issue. Yeah, these errors could happen with um, managing um, or being responsible for drawings or things to do with on-site supervision. Um, you know, that could be errors, but it is not intentional. Um meaning unintentional, but it is not something that is um, accepted in professional practices. Minimizing errors would be to double-check things. And losing money uh, or um, having to add more money to uh, the cost because of irresponsibility, because responsibility is the number one factor here that could lead to corruption. That's for the architecture 
um, practice. For the architecture education, this is my own take of what is corruption or corrupt practices in architecture education. Now, I'm not saying I'm an angel, but if I were not giving the right um, teaching tools or guidance that says on the box, that says in the performer that the students will be able to learn uh, something, 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 that it says in the performer or the course objectives, if the students are not learning that or not skilled after going through my course, then in a way, I have been involved in corruption practices. Now, the point is, one doesn't see it that way because uh, corruption occurs in architecture education all the time. Um, and sometimes there is a conflict of interest like um, uh, the um, someone who can make the decision on behalf of the faculty would say that why don't we pass this student because uh, although he did not he or she did not, or he or she or they did not um, uh, fulfill the requirement. Um, and it's not a borderline case, not even near the uh, passing mark, but someone who outrightly failed. And you, and this uh, person who is in charge and could make that decision says to the tutor or the lecturer in charge, give this person an upgrade of the grade and somehow the lecturer tutor either they would agree and they just do it or they would uh, debate that or argue that no no um, I've given all the students the same proper uh, teaching material and guidance but this particular student somehow just didn't do the work so in the light of of uh, learning, and if that student did not learn from uh, their mistake, so because of the corruption that was involved in which the student was upgraded and passed, but the student did not learn from that, it is a corrupted practice. One has this in, um, if I'm not mistaken, I, I read this in, in my religious text. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is because this is to do with morality, to do with ethics. And sometimes you go back to what the religion says in the context of in Malaysia, if I'm giving the perspective from what I read, I read from the Quran, if there is a transaction, you pay money to to get the services and it has to be the services has to be rendered as how much you paid your money for the value that you've given so you cannot short change the person who buy your services so in the context of sometimes in the university you know the government may be giving a scholarship to the student or as a lecturer i'm I'm uh, paid by the government. So sometimes we forget these things because 
what we're doing are transactional. What we're doing when we're teaching, we're not supposed to shortchange anyone. Now, I was very... Um, I was uh, affected by this uh, verse, verse, uh, or quote from a, a verse from the Quran because I was, yeah, I mean, um, I was thinking, I was thinking in in, in the, at first in terms of, you know, um, when you buy something, a bunch of fruits from the fruit seller in the market, and then a couple of the fruits are gone were bad and you paid for the money as if you think that they're good. So it's the same thing, really, in in um, transactions to do with architecture education and uh, architectural practice. Yeah, going back to architecture practice, if the um, uh, co contractor did a faulty um, construction or building, uh, but get paid as if the building is is good to go, you know, but then you have to have extra money um, renovated by the, um, what do you call it, the, uh, the owner of the building. So that's wrong, isn't it? So, so in this day and age, when we talk about, we read on the tweets and um, social media, about corrupted uh, politicians, about politicians going on to cases. I mean, there's, we try to find the basic idea of all these things, which is corruption, and why corruption is being looked at as something uh, that is very um, unethical. I'm not going to go into religion now, because I'm going to go back to unethic, um, ethics and un and so on. I'm giving the the verse from the Quran just now because I'm into this mode of talking about corrupted leaders. And uh, excuse me for doing so. And I hope that you will um, event, uh, not be um, uh, pissed off with me. But uh, I'm trying to make it neutral as much as possible with regard to beliefs um, in these podcasts. But but uh, I, I think the reason why I'm trying to say it in that way is to, to, for you to know where I'm coming from. That is to do with ethics, and we all have beliefs, and our beliefs um, influence our actions, obviously. So, so there you go. Uh, in this topic, architecture and corruption, um, again, I would like to um, focus on how our day-to-day -day dealings and our decision-making processes and how this, what we do as lecturers or academicians influence other people, uh, how they would perceive the things that we do to be normalized. And lo and behold, we are corrupted and everybody else get cor to be corrupted as well. That is why we have to think for ourselves rather than follow what other people say. And we think ourselves based on our beliefs and ethics. So I'm sure there are readings out there. In fact, I'm reading on... Um, I haven't really started it, but there's a book called... Um, I've been just browsing it. Ethics for Architects, 50 Dilemmas of Professional Practice by Thomas Fisher. 
Now, there is so much here that could be of interest for you to read on general obligations to the public, client, profession, colleagues, and the environment. So in the Architects Act in my country, for example, there is not much to do with obligation to society. I find a couple of paragraphs at most, but the rest is all about contract law and um, um, your obligation to the client. So that was in the that was drawn up in the uh, was it the 1950s, 60s, 70s, but it, it it was something that needs revision because now we have all this sustainable uh, sustainability. Um, design goals. Is it design? SDGs, yeah. So, obligation. That's basically what this book is about. Um, obligations to public, client, profession, colleagues, and the environment. Under each topic, for example, obligations to the environment... Obviously, that's why I'm saying SDGs. Environmental hypocrisy, environmental conflicts, contextual conflicts, social justice, future generation, other species, reducing waste, reducing consumption, rights of nature. It's being addressed here. So with regard to social justice, which is something that I'm interested in, we have the, the architect mentioning, well, quoting Mother Teresa, we think sometimes that poverty is only being hungry, naked, and homeless. The poverty of being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for is the greatest poverty. Yeah, that, that, that makes me think about, in our country, we don't have that article on um, social protection. Um, which we have in the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. We don't have that article in our own act. It's left out. So we've always assumed persons with disabilities are um, institutionalized. They live in institutions or homes. We don't think that they live amongst us. So that's a really backdated way of thinking, and that's why we need to revise our Persons with Disabilities Act. But anyway, I'm still talking about social justice here. Just now it was about poverty, which is very close to disability, intertwined together. And, um, and also, uh, there's another one start here. An architectural and engineering firm designed for a poor country, a hospital that would use the anaerobic digestion of trash from local landfills as a source of energy while... Environmentally responsible and cost-effective, the process also affected, affected the livelihood of a group of impoverished families who lived next to the landfill and made a subsistence income by recycling that same trash. These raised the question of whether the firm should, should switch to a more conventional energy source. Sometimes uh, it's kind of out of your hand because it depends on... Um, yeah, these are decisions made by, by, um, by not necessarily the architect, obviously, but 
Built environment professionals collectively are experts that advise the local council, councillors, politicians, and civil servants themselves are also from the built environment professions. So furthermore, he said the utilitarian precept of doing what brings the greatest good to the greatest number, while seemingly simple, is far more complex than it first appears, especially in the case of competing goods, each of which brings different benefits to different groups. The common criticism of the utilitarian calculus of Jeremy Bentham lies in the ultimate inability of any of us to precisely calculate the full consequences of all our actions. Okay, then it goes into a more... Um, well, we know uh, for the first statement that was read, where is goods and services, we know that, uh, provisions of this, may it be by commercial or businesses or even government services that is being budgeted or being given the money to run the services. So, so I'm, I have um, skipped that one. I'm going to this one. Judging an action's goodness by its impact on those who can easily count leads to an ethics of those in power for those in power by those in power. This can increase the potential for ethical abuse in the name of ethics. All right. Thomas Fisher mentioned this in the context of social justice and looking at practices of wealth of the welfare system in our country. Uh, this came to light uh, to me of a particular program to assist um, disabled persons, but in the system of it, usually disabled persons get a certain amount of money, uh, say in this regard, 500 ringgit Malaysian uh, allowance per month, but there was an insistence to control um, disabled persons' spending so that they spend on the correct things, like the basic necessities. So what they did was, I think 300 or 200 ringgit of it is in a form of tokens, which they can, um, what do you call it, um, claim from certain establishments. So then people were saying that, people were arguing that, hey, um, this is corrupted. I mean, they allege that it's, a, it's in a way corrupted because um, it's your choice which establishment, and some of us can't even access this establishment. It got them really angry, actually. That's the most I can get from uh, reading this in terms of practices. Um, however, in architecture, the sim something similar could be uh, argued where the monopoly of supplies, I suppose, um, 
I'm not going to be too abstract. If in our construction industry, we keep on building the same way and prices go up uh, with this material and we don't have any other choices or supplies of certain equipment or certain things only come from a few who monopolize and um, raise the prices. So those are the corruption practice, I could say, um, which... When we come to construction industry, um, social justice is more to do with um, not designing for uh, disabled persons or those in the vulnerable groups, uh, not looking into um, compliance standards, not, uh, not upgrading your skills in terms of understanding about accessibility and universal design or training your staff to be much more empathetical and and practicing um, disa disable access for example yeah in your design so I think that will relate directly to social justice because the user, uh, cannot participate equally um, in the activities that is provided by the functions of the building. So um, that will be the social injustice that have a direct um, implication from uh, um, from unfair practices, obviously. So, there you go. Uh, this topic of architecture and corruption is inspired from uh, the new election that is coming up in our country and um, everybody's thinking about it. Um, and unfortunately, the issue of corruption is right there as something that you have to deal with, and I'm sure in your countries you have similar similar things. I, I don't think any country or any collective population has a perfect um, uncorrupted system. So the system is not perhaps not corrupted by the people who engage with the system. So this is the way of the world, and we have to cope with it. So, do be aware that in taking care of ourselves, we need to be have a healthy work-life balance so that we have a strong mentality. And do check out my program, The Rediscover Your Sense of Self for the architect, mid-level architects who are not advancing in their career, frustrated, you can ask me for a free guide. The high value gift of five reasons you struggle to advance in your career as a mid-level architect and how to fix it fast. Just, just contact me via naziati, N-A-Z-I-A-T-Y, at gmail.com. And I will give you that 
free guide. So thank you again for listening to Talk Architecture Podcast. I'm your host, Naziati Muhammad Yaqub, and I will see you again, not visibly, but presently in the next episode. Thank you.